like it. Christmas never gets old for me, man. I, I'm a Christmas guy. It's my second favorite season of the year, just right behind baseball season. But I love Christmas. Love it. Love it. But there are some things that get old for me. You know, Randy and Michelle and Joseph talked about what gets old to them. Well, one of the things that gets old to me is the 12 days of Christmas. It is a song that, are, that is 12 days too long. I just, it, I just, it's here. I just can't. Something else that, that gets old to me are people that love to tell you that they didn't decorate. I don't do lights. I didn't put up a tree. Okay. It's like, do I have to hear about it? You know, that just gets old. Same people saying it every year after year. But you know what? Even Christmas haters like, they like Christmas gifts. Everybody does, man. We all like Christmas gifts. And that's because Christmas is all about giving, but maybe not what you would think. I mean, there's a lot of things. Christmas is about family, about giving. But the reason Christmas is about giving is because Christmas represents the time when God gave his greatest gift to us, the gift of his son, Jesus, who was born. If you have a Bible, I'd like to invite you to open it up to Luke chapter 2, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. You can pick one up at the Welcome Center on your way out. We have both English and Spanish translations uh, so that you could read that and enjoy that. If you're following along in your Bible and you don't know where Luke is, just flip three-fourths of the way through your Bible. You'll be in the New Testament and look for the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four different Gospels. Go to the third one. That's Luke. Luke is the third of four Gospels. I'll tell you a little bit about what that means later, but Luke was a doctor by trade, but then he joined, for some reason, he joined the Apostle Paul, one of the early church missionaries, on his first missionary trip into Europe, and he became a writer. Luke wrote the book of Luke, and he also wrote the book of Acts. Some people call Acts Luke chapter 2, or Luke uh, uh, scene 2. Now, he did not grow up hearing the stories about this Messiah, this Christ, because he wasn't Jewish. He was a Gentile. But he certainly understood what a great gift Jesus was to the world. So he wrote the story of Jesus in his gospel, his story of Jesus' life, for people like him, Greeks or Gentiles, non-Jews, who didn't know much about the true living God. Now, his narrative of Jesus' birth is one of the most well-known stories ever recorded, especially well-known in, in the Christian world. So when your dad or mom or your grandfather or grandmother or Charlie Brown read you the Christmas story on Christmas Eve, they open the Bible to Luke 2. So let's start there. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Some translations say census. And this taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was, while they were there, the days were accomplished, that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, we've already taken a census or survey this morning because in the year 2022, Michelle Masterson decreed that a census should be taken among all the BPF family. And so I thought we'd do one more census, okay? I've got one more survey to ask you about today, okay? If your family's home, like you, you go back and you think where your family is, where you grew up, or maybe where you have generations still from your family, if your family's home was outside of the state of Texas, the place your family would call home, raise your hand if it was outside of Texas. I'm sorry, but still, that's, that's cool. Okay, outside of Texas, 
If it was more than a 12 hours drive, raise your hand back up again. More than 12 hours, okay. Where are you from? Where's your family? Where? Florida. Somebody over here, I saw several hands. Yeah. Guatemala. That's a long drive. <laughs> Somebody else, raise your hand. Yes. South Dakota, behind you. Brazil. Man, this is international. This is awesome. Right, and then behind you. Pennsylvania. Somebody over here. Where? Tennessee. Anybody else? Back here. Canada. Anybody else from another country? Denmark. Cool. I didn't hear you. Germany. So cool. So cool. Okay. Now imagine, imagine for a moment, think back to the Roman world, which covered Europe, a, a lot of Southern Europe along the Mediterranean, the Roman Empire, uh, the Middle East, down into Africa, Asia. Just imagine if the United States says, so we'll, we'll keep it to the folks that live in, in, in the United States. If the federal government here decided there was going to be a census for the purpose of taxation and told you all you had to go back to your family home of origin, just imagine all of you, you're from some, one of these places that was mentioned. You had to go back to your family home of origin, and, uh, and you only had one or two weeks' notice to go. Right now. Just think about all you're involved in right now. And you had to leave and go. That's what it was like for the whole Roman world. Now, sure, a lot of people were still living in the place where they'd grown up, but a lot of people were not. And everybody had to go. Can you imagine what chaos it was? And they had to go to be taxed, but they also had to spend the money to go and travel. No one was prepared for that, especially not a poor peasant couple like Mary and Joseph. Let's look back at Luke 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census or a taxation should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. This sounds so regal and majestic. In, the, the, uh, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. Doesn't it sound kind of majestic? It was nothing like that. It was oppressive. It was oppressive government. And his purpose, as I said, was to collect a new tax. Now, Bethlehem, where Joseph and Mary went to, was a small, unimportant village with really only one claim to its fame. It was the hometown of ancient King David, Israel's most favored king, Israel's greatest king. But that's, that's not any more important than being the hometown of Bucky's and Selena. We got that. Well, anyway, actually Bethlehem had one more claim to fame besides David, King David. If you were up on Old Testament prophecy in those days, 400 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Malachi, in, in, a, in a book that most people have never read, the prophet Malachi predicted that it would be the birthplace of the promised Jewish Christ, or Messiah. I'll tell you what that means in a moment. So Bethlehem was Joseph's family's hometown. It wasn't Mary's, but it was Joseph's. And so Joseph was actually a royal. But, but he was so many generations removed from King David, nobody knew or cared, except, of course, the Roman government, who said, go back to your hometown to be taxed. So off to Bethlehem they went, Mary and Joseph. They had no choice but to go. And shortly after they arrived, I mean, just right after they arrived, this, verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger 
because there was no guest room available for them. There's so much, if you, if you dig down and look at that one verse, we learn so much about the circumstances of that birth. You see, before ultrasound and gender reveal parties, she knew her baby was going to be a son because the angel Gabriel told her that in a vision. But that glorious angelic announcement, it didn't give a hint of how, how difficult her actual experience of childbirth would be. And we get the first hint from that where it says she wrapped him in cloths or swaddling clothes, depending on which translations you're reading from. She wrapped him in cloths. What's wrong with that? She wrapped her baby in cloths. Let me tell you what's wrong with that. A woman's mother or aunt or older sisters wrapped the baby in cloths right after it was born while mom is resting from the pain of childbirth. But none of them were there. That wasn't Mary's hometown, and none of her family came with her on that trip. And, you know, even though this was Joseph's ancestral hometown, evidently he did not have any close relatives that lived there that he knew because he, they couldn't stay at anyone's home, and there was no place for them to stay. They were alone. It was just Mary and Joseph and the baby. It probably was, other than the sounds of childbirth, it probably was a silent night after Jesus was born. She placed Jesus in a manger. That gives us another clue. Manger. Manger. What's wrong with that, that she placed the baby in a manger? Well, listen, a manger, it, many of you know this, but some of you may not. A manger is not a miniature pergola to display your nativity set that looks like something designed by Chip and Joanna for HGTV. It wasn't cool or quaint or rustic. A manger, if you didn't know it, was a trough. It's a feeding trough for large animals. So that lets us know that Jesus was born in a place that housed animals. It was either a barn or a cave. It's likely a cave because that's where a lot of animals were kept in that day. So that was the alternative uh, accommodation Joseph found when there was no inn, no Airbnb or Verbo. And yet, folks, this humble, humble circumstance was the setting for the birth of the most exalted figure ever born. And it lets you see that true greatness, true greatness is not always a visible greatness. You don't always see, know that you're looking on greatness when you see it. As I said a few weeks ago, Jesus was born to die a sacrificial death for us. The ultimate reason he came was to save the world by being punished for our sins so we wouldn't have to be. But before he died, and this is important, we'll see all through as we've been following Jesus through the book of John, we see that all the way along there, he showed us how to live. Everything about his life, including his birth, was a model for us. Because here's the, here's the truth. Before there is glory, there must be humility. Before there's glory, there must be humility. This is how the kingdom of God operates. This is a, Christ followers, we should be the most humble people in the world. Jesus said the first will be last and the last will be first. The apostle Peter spent a lot of time with Jesus. He reminded us that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, who did not believe Jesus was God until after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, James reminded us to humble ourselves before the Lord and in due time, he will lift us up. He will give us glory. He will exalt us. But that exaltation might come when our bodies are glorified after this life when we go into heaven. For now, we are to be humble. Jesus chose a humble beginning, and that's a model for how we should live. Now, nothing about Jesus' birth seemed glorious, even though we sing glory. But just outside of town, just outside of town, 
Glory was breaking through the heavens. Look at verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, so they were out on the outskirts of Bethlehem, nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. We don't know what angel this was, but more than likely, it was Gabriel. Gabriel had appeared nine months earlier to both Mary and Joseph on separate occasions to let them know that the Holy Spirit would overcome Mary and she would have a child. She would become pregnant with a child and she would give birth. A virgin would give birth. So an angel of the Lord appeared to these shepherds and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. That would be very unusual to find a baby lying in a manger. So the birth announcement for Jesus was given to shepherds. Why shepherds? Why not the king? Why not royalty? Why not the religious folk? Well, people have a lot of of speculation on why. I'll tell you mine. I think it was a foreshadowing of Jesus' role in life and in death. For, For starters... The, the great King David, the great King David, Jesus' ancestor by adoption, Joseph, who's in the line of David, was Jesus' adopted father. David was a shepherd. He even wrote this about God. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I, I, I don't want for anything. He's my shepherd. You may remember a few months ago when we read through John chapter 10 on our journey with Jesus through the book of John, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So he was both a shepherd who would take care of us, calling us his sheep, but he also would lay down his life for his sheep. Shepherds were normal folk. They were, they were just they were working class folks. They're also many times very brave and bold people because they had to rescue and protect their sheep from wild animals and sometimes from thieves and robbers who would come to take them. But otherwise than that, they were just normal folks. And the announcement of Jesus' birth to everyday people like the shepherds showed that God is not just with the great. He is with all people. Now, let's get back and think about this sudden arrival of the angels. It just, the sudden arrival of this angel with the glory of God shining around, it just freaked the shepherds out. And as I've stated often before, whenever we talk about when we read in those few instances of a visitation by angels, the arrival of the angel almost always terrifies the people they choose to visit. I think they were probably a little bit larger than life. They were always men for some reason, and they were always just, just glowed usually, unless they were masking themselves just to be like normal people. And then the first words that we most often hear from angels that angels utter to humans when they appear are, don't be afraid. Chill out. Fear not. So you can imagine these shepherds, as, as he's saying that, they're, they're probably shaking. I mean, what would you do if some 10-foot-tall dude shows up and he's going white? Oh, you know, I would freak out. You would too. So anyway, now, these angels are messengers. That's, that's, that's their main role that we see. Uh, there are other heavenly beings like cherubim and seraphim, but the angels, they're messengers. And this is the second greatest message that was ever given by an angel when he said, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. I started to just leave you hanging and say, what's the greatest news an angel's ever said? Well, I think the greatest news an angel ever said was in the garden tomb when he said, he is not here. 
he is risen right after Jesus' resurrection from the dead. But this is the second greatest news. The phrase good news, this is really cool. The good news is the verbal form of the Greek word from which we get the word gospel. Gospel. Gospel means good news. And that's why the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each tell the story of Jesus from four different perspectives. That's why we call them the Gospels, the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, Gospel of Luke, Gospel of John. Now, notice what the angel said about this good news. He said this good news will cause great joy. The good news is not bad news. It's not threatening news to you. It is good news. It is great news. And that's why the Christmas story is a story, is the gospel, the good news of joy. This is what Christmas should remind us about. So what's the good news? What is this gospel of joy? The good news is that a Savior has been born to you. Coincidentally, or actually not at all, the birth of Emperor Augustus, Caesar Augustus, the one who called for this census, this taxation, when he was born, the birth announcement for him was announced the report of good news, a Savior has been born. That's what they would say about royalty then. But that was really just all pomp. He was no Savior like Jesus. He didn't save anyone from anything. Back to the angel. In the angel's announcement, the angel, this is cool, he gave Jesus three titles. And this is the only place in the Gospels where all three are put together. Three titles for Jesus when he said, I bring you good news of great joy, a Savior, Messiah, and Lord. A Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. What is a Savior? A Savior saves, he will save his people from their sins. The greatest need we have is not for clean water. It's not for education or medicine. As great as all those needs are, the greatest need we have is to solve our problem, the weight of sin that holds us down, holds us back, that weight of sin that separates us from God. Our greatest need is a Savior to take away our sins, and that's exactly what Jesus did when he died for us on a cross. If we believe in him, put our faith in him, he forgives us our sins, and we, we are not punished for those sins at the end of this life. So Jesus was a savior. In Greek culture, all kinds of people were called saviors, from doctors and rulers to philosophers. But Jesus, when Jesus is called a savior, it gives a much greater meaning to the word savior. That was the first title, savior. The second title, the angel also called Jesus the Messiah. Messiah is the, is the Greek word for anointed one. Greek was the most common language spoken in the Roman world at that time. People also spoke Hebrew there in Israel, but Greek was common. So Greek is the, is the language that the New Testament, most of the New Testament is written in. But the Greek word for anointed one, the Hebrew word that a lot of people spoke for anointed one is Christ, is Christ. So some English translations say, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. So either one, Christ the Lord, that's the Hebrew word for Messiah or for anointed one, Messiah. Anointed one. Christ and Messiah, they mean the same thing. And as Randy pointed out last week, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's not Jesus Christ. It is Jesus, it's a title. Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the anointed one. God's special one sent to save us from our sins. So he's a savior. He's Messiah or Christ. The angel put a third title there to make sure that the shepherds and everyone else, including all of us, would know exactly who Jesus was. He said, a Savior is born to you. He's a Messiah, the Lord. The Lord means God, God, maker of all, ruler of all. 
After he told them this good news that he was born, the angels told the shepherds where they could find Jesus. But before they left, one more cool thing is if they weren't terrified enough by seeing one angel, probably Gabriel, this angel pushed back the curtains of heaven to reveal one last blast of glory. Look at verse 13. Suddenly, a great company, that means probably thousands, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace on those to whom his favor rests. I want you to think about the contrast this night in and outside of Bethlehem. What a contrast between the shepherd's experience of glory on the outskirts of Bethlehem and Mary and Joseph's experience of Jesus' birth, humble birth in Bethlehem. Did you realize, has it occurred to you, if you've read through the story or heard it, that Mary and Joseph never saw or heard the angels that night? Their news about the angels and about the angels saying a, a good news and, and the heavenly host praising God, singing glory to God in the highest heaven, that was all secondhand to Mary and Joseph. They didn't see it or hear it. They learned about it from the angels. They learned about the angels from the shepherds. So here's the implication. You can pull the angel or angels out of your nativity scene. They weren't there at the birth. And while you're at it, you can go ahead and take the wise men and magi and put them back in the box too because they didn't show up in Bethlehem until Jesus was probably up and walking. Read the story. You'll find out. Now nah, I'm just kidding. You can leave them there. And I'm not kidding about the fact that they weren't there, but you can leave them there. I left them. We're in there in our nativity scenes. We've got tons of nativity scenes from all over the world. They're all part of the Christmas story. They really are. They're all part of the Christmas story. They were all there, but there wasn't always the same place at the same time. They're there. But they're all part of it. So it's cool to leave them in there. I almost ruined Christmas for you, didn't I? Some of you. It's like, but I love my nativities. Leave them out, you know. Randy's got a nativity scene from Mexico and Joseph's wearing a six-shooter, I think. You know, I thought. <laughs> I love that. Okay. I want to leave you with these two things, okay? These are the bigger implications from, this, from the birth story of Jesus. I want to leave you with the shepherd's response. Think about that and think about Mary's response, okay? Look back at, look at verse 15. When the angels had left them, had left the shepherds, okay, on the outskirts where they were with their sheep, when the angels had left the shepherds and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Now, they just saw angels, but they knew that this message was from God, the Lord, because angels are messengers, and they're bringing the message from the Lord, which the Lord has told us about. Verse 16, so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. Do you realize the shepherds were the first evangelists? They were the first people ever to talk about the good news of Jesus Christ. The shepherds were. Listen, the shepherds did not have any theological training. And it's doubtful, they may have, but it's doubtful they were telling any, quoting any Old Testament prophecy. Yeah, they might have known, did you know that Malachi said it would be here in Bethlehem, that a Messiah would be born? Did you know that? They probably didn't know that either. They might have. What did they do? They just told their story. They just told their story. Shepherds' response is they told their story. And you can do that if you are a Christ follower. You can tell your story. You don't have to know tons of things. You don't have to be able to answer all the questions. Just tell your story. If you're a Christ follower, you've met Jesus and he's changed you, especially if you came to know Jesus later in life as an adult. You can see the change. You can, you can mark the change and say, 
This is when I lived in darkness and didn't know Jesus, and here's what he's doing in my life now. If you grew up in the church and you really have never known a time where you weren't around people of faith, your family was of faith, if you're truly following him, he has been changing you, making you into his image more and more like him. Tell your story. If you've messed up and you know he's forgiven you, tell your story. The shepherds, in addition to telling the story, they also, we know that they worshiped him as they returned to their work. They went back to work. They, they didn't like end that and then spend the rest of their time telling, hey, let me tell you the story about what happened to Bethlehem one night. They went back to work as shepherds. They spent the rest of their life, I'm sure, working as shepherds. But as they returned to their work, glorifying, they were glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. They were not expecting to find a baby in an animal trough that night. But they found him, just like the angels said. And they believed. And I would imagine 30 years later when Jesus was on the public scene, some of those shepherds came up and said, I saw you when you were a baby. Can you imagine how cool that would have been? To be there that night and then maybe get to see Jesus and hear him preach. Now Mary's response. Think about Mary. Mary was tired from not only from childbirth, but also the journey. So can you imagine, it, they, it was, she probably rode on, on an animal, a donkey. Can you imagine being full-term pregnancy and riding an animal like that across the country? It's probably a day or two's journey where they went. She was tired from childbirth and trip there. So it's no surprise that her response was much more subdued than the angels, but it was just as honorable and just as noteworthy as the shepherd's response. Look at her response, verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. What things did she treasure and ponder? Well, think about her experience. Let me fill in, give you a couple of other things that I didn't read about in the story here. She probably, no doubt, she treasured and pondered her encounter with the angel Gabriel, who told her that the Holy Spirit would conceive a son in her womb whom she would name Jesus. She thought, she had to have thought back to that night, probably the same angel that talked to the shepherds. She treasured the early months of her pregnancy when she went to go spend time with her distant cousin, Elizabeth, who was also pregnant with a honored child. Elizabeth gave birth. Elizabeth was about six months ahead of her in giving birth, and her baby would become known as John the Baptist. God sent John the Baptist ahead of Jesus to announce, to say, prepare the way for the Lord. He was, he was a re, not a reincarnation. That's not Christ-like. But, but he, was, he was taking the place of the new Isaiah who would foretell the story of Jesus. And she probably remembered that Elizabeth said, Mary, when you walked into the room, my baby jumped for joy within my womb at the presence of your baby, Jesus. And now she treasured the shepherd's visit and the news of their encounter with the angels. It was a silent night, but she realized truly this was also a holy night. She treasured and pondered these things in her heart. Do you know another word that describes both treasure and ponder together? It's Mary's response. It was wonder, wonder. Do you still wonder? Do you still have that, that wonderful characteristic of wonder? You lose wonder when you try to explain everything. Wonder is what takes over after you've explained all you can explain. Wonder is what takes over when you can no longer explain it and you encounter the holy you're encountering the holy this morning, folks. Wonder is what the shepherds did when they found 
Jesus wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Wonder is what the Magi did when they encountered this child whose glory and significance matched that unusual star that they saw in the sky that put them on a journey that lasted weeks, maybe months, to get to where this star pointed. Christmas is so meaningful to children because they haven't lost the quality of wonder. They live in wonder. They experience wonder. Listen, here's my challenge to you today. This Christmas, let wonder overtake you. Just give in to wonder. Let your mind go into wonder. Read the Christmas story. It's recorded in two of the four Gospels. It's recorded in in the first two chapters of Matthew, in the first two chapters of Luke. Read it several times this year and get lost in the wonder. Consider the virgin birth and don't wonder if, listen, if you can believe that there's a God in heaven who created the world, surely he could create a child to be born in a virgin. Get past that. Consider the virgin birth and don't wonder if, wonder why. Why did God choose to do it this way? Consider the star that the Magi followed. And there there are some really cool examples or or explanations of what that star was or could have been from an astrological, I mean, astronomical astronomical point of view. Because however God does things, he does them in some way. But go past that. Consider the star and wonder why those, those Magi so believed that they needed to follow where that star was pointing to, why they believed that it was important. Be lost in that wonder. Consider the humble birth of Jesus and wonder why God the Father chose to put his son in such a humble circumstance of poverty. We know they were poor because eight days later, when they went to Jerusalem to offer a sacrifice at the temple that all Jewish people did, they gave the offering that poor people were required to give because they couldn't afford a better offering. Ponder that. Wonder why Jesus was born in poverty instead of majesty and what that means. Consider the shepherds and wonder what it was like to encounter an angel and hear such great news and then to, then to hear an angel chorus. Now, we don't know if they were singing. It just says they were saying, glory to God in the highest, but let's just go with it. They probably were singing. Surely they sing. Let wonder carry you into the holy and the transcendent. Stay there a while. Be lost in wonder. Maybe, maybe go out tonight in the darkness when you can't see a lot of other things and just think about this story. Ponder it, treasure it. Get lost in wonder. And then let it inspire you to do what the shepherds and Mary did. Let it inspire you to treasure the story like Jesus and then to tell that story, tell that good news like the shepherds. Let's pray. God, thank you for all you do. Lord, we're so grateful that you sent your son, Jesus, God the Son, to earth, to be like us, to be one of us, to endure every sinful temptation we endure, to encounter perhaps more difficult circumstances than many of us have ever encountered, to give us a model of how to live and then show us how to die. God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to be our Savior. Thank you for anointing him, God the Son. God, let us not be lost on that message. Take us into wonder beyond our Western world that tries to explain everything, and that's not a terrible thing.
God, let us just be amazed at who you are and what you do. And then inspire us to share the story. I ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.